This is episode number 260. What is your deepest desire in life? With Casey Berman and Elizabeth Kristoff. Welcome. My name is Oleg Lohid, and this is the Overcoming Odds Podcast, where you get a glimpse into the stories of individuals who've overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving their personal success. This podcast was built by you and for you to help you overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving your fullest potential. Before we get into today's episode, I'd like to make a few quick announcements. First one being, for all of those who have been supporters of our work or listening to our show, if you would please consider supporting our mission by making a contribution through our website at overcomingodds.today or leaving us a review on iTunes, Facebook, or Google so we can continue creating and sharing these inspiring and courageous conversations. The second announcement that I wanted to make is in regard to our weekly series called Survive to Thrive, Live the Story You Create. What this is, is a series of conversations that take place every single Friday at 10.45 a.m. Central Time, where we explore the connection between one's inner narrative as it relates to desires, beliefs, and the different ones that one may want throughout this particular experience on this planet. If you have any interest in being a part of these conversations, please consider joining us live either through Facebook or LinkedIn every single Friday at 10.45 a.m. Central Time, where we'll be discussing these topics in detail and welcoming any perspectives and insights coming from those that are joining us. Now, let's get back to the show. My desire has come true to have the two of you on the same same platform at the same time, but I'm grateful for the two of you for many different reasons. I think, as I expressed to Casey uh, yesterday during another podcast that we host called Just a Squirrel Looking for a Nut, um, I I think there's something to be said about, for me at least, choosing to approach these experiences and express my gratitude to the two of you because uh, every single time we connect it's very rarely, in fact, I don't think it's ever been a five or 10 minute conversation. I think if anything, it went well into the hour and we probably could have kept on talking if we didn't have other things to do, right? <laughs> totally. <laughs> no, I, I appreciate the two of you being here. Um, today's topic revolves around this question that you're able to see above and that is, what is your deepest desire in life? And so what I wanted to do is really wanted to create a space amongst all of us and everyone else that's tuning in right now to a better understand our own desires, but also share what were some of the challenges in articulating that desire. Um, I know that the two of you and myself included were big on challenging our limitations, challenging the societal expectations of what your story should be and the story that you need to be living um, and getting more in tune with kind of our own, our own stories and what guides us. So I figured that the best way that maybe we can even start this conversation as well as anyone else that's joining right now is by looking at the question at hand, what is your deepest desire in life? And what was the challenge? What was the challenge of articulating that? Well, I'll go ahead. Go ahead, Lizzie. 
Um, it, it's so interesting that you uh, had this as a topic today because this is something I've been doing a lot of work on over the past six months for myself. And what I would tell you now, my deepest desires are very different than what I thought of for most of my life because I've realized as I've been doing a lot of work, I, I'm a functional neurologist, so I view everything in terms of the nervous system and how the nervous system drives our behavior. And so for a long time, I was living in a really dysregulated state of my nervous <clears throat> system. I was stuck in various states of like hypervigilance or shutdown, hypoarousal. And my desire was really just to create safety for myself, to find ways to self-regulate and I thought I had these big ambitious desires, but they were actually, I think, just ways that I thought I could secure my safety and my position in life. So it looked like growing my business really big or doing a lot for a lot of other people, but that wasn't the true nature of, of my own deep heart's felt desire. And as I've done a lot of work to regulate myself and create that internal sense of safety, safety from within where I know my intrinsic safety, I know my intrinsic worth, and I'm not reaching, reaching, reaching at all these external sources to give me my safety and my worth that has changed a lot for me. And I would really say now, like my deepest desire is connection to live a life where I'm connected to other people for partnership and community and allowing that to unfold how it is. Um, and it's a lot less dependent upon what my externals look like and even the success of my business or my finances, but more about the community that I have around me. How did you get to the point, because I, I've experienced a similar thing throughout my life where having had the challenges that I had when I was a child leading up to 12 and maybe even longer than that when it comes to the adversities that I faced is I got to the point in my life where I was very fortunate to understand that all of those things back then and all the ways that I chose to handle those adversities, they served me in the time, but they no longer served me moving forward. Like how did you personally get to that particular conversation, so to speak, internally and understanding that, okay, these were the things that helped fulfill my desires back then, because, well, I'll be curious to hear Casey's point of view as well. When I was younger, especially right after, I think it was maybe halfway through college or right upon graduation, I had similar dreams to, I think, what some people have as well. Fancy car, nice house, white picket fence, golden retriever, you know, the American dream, so to speak. And then after a while, I started to realize that those desires didn't really align with who I am. And I think a lot of those desires actually had to do with my past. Because I didn't have those things back then, I was trying to fix my past by bringing them into the future. And then I realized that I don't want those things. I, I don't want the fancy. And I'm not saying for anyone that's listening, if you want whatever your version of fancy car looks like, go after it. That's fine. It just wasn't my dream and it wasn't my ultimate desire. And so I'm curious in your case, what was that dialogue? How did you change that story? Well, there's two things that I did that really led me to that understanding that I just <laughs> described to you, which was one was learning the tools to regulate my nervous system so that I wasn't always being driven by this like force that I couldn't describe, right? Just this 
internal thing propelling me to do more, to consume more, to be more, to work harder, to hustle more. And that, what I, I really know now was, was hypervigilance. I was stuck in hypervigilance. And so being able to learn new tools for self-regulation through either functional neurology or breath work or different types of somatic practices allowed me to be in that calmer, neutral state where I could be focused. I could think clearly. I could, it was possible for me to actually be present with people and connect and I could stop and and take a beat and really think about what is it that I really want without being driven by the dysregulation of my nervous system. And then the second thing is that I've done a lot of work regressing myself backwards through different somatic practices and EFT and going back into those core wounds and looking at what my subconscious mind was really holding on to. And for me, I know that at a very early age in life, I took on a lot of the stress of my mother. I was raised by a single mom. My dad was abusive. And so we left that and she was hustling all the time to ensure our survival. And she did the best that she could, but I was alone a lot. And so my my deep desire was for family and it was for connection. But I was aware, even as a very young child, that if I if I put that desire out into the world, that would add more stress to her load, that that would maybe even make her shut down a little bit more, that I would get less care, and that I would maybe be hurting the person that I loved. And so I, at a very early, maybe even pre-verbal age, baked in this deep belief that if I fully express my desires, it's hurtful to the people that I love. And that script yeah. was just running all of the time. And so as I became an adult, and of course, cognitively, I don't believe that anymore, but s- expressing my my true desires didn't feel safe. And so I couldn't even see them clearly. I couldn't, when someone would ask me, what are your desires? I was just, I didn't know. It felt very fuzzy. So I just kind of went by what society told me that I should want because I didn't have the capability at that time to clearly articulate and express and even see my own desires. Mm. Cindy here has mentioned that you have described her life to a T. I feel you, Cindy. (laughs) And Osama has joined us here, which I believe that two of you are connected to just an awesome human being with an uh, exceptional level of energy that I can't say I've ever met. And I mean this in the most positive way, but just um, amazing human being overall. Casey, what has your experience been like in regard to the, in regard to finding your desire in life? So, and this isn't me being an attorney and it's not a Bill Clinton, what is, the meaning, <laughs> what is the meaning of is, but you need to understand and define who the you is and what is your. Mm-hmm. And so I think that goes to what Elizabeth, I think it goes to what Elizabeth is talking about around, around identity and the identities that we have uh, baked into us, uh, programmed that, that we take on. Um, identities are... You can argue where beliefs come. Do they come before identities or after? I think they, I think they come after, which enables you. It's hard to shift beliefs, but if you can take on a new identity and step into new shoes, you can. It it enables you to change, hopefully positively, downstream from that. But if you think of my identity as 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 Casey Berman, um, as all of us people. Mm-hmm. You know, the identity most of us have, and Scott Mason would yell at me by saying, <laughs> life, life is great, and he has a ton of self-worth, and 
And, you know, who are you to say? And I don't, and, and he's right to push back on me. I don't mean to say that this is something, what I'm about to say is something that implies we don't like ourselves or implies that, that the world is a horrible place, but we all feel separated. We feel antagonistic to the world. The world is either taught to us that there's some benevolent God that created it and we just have to please him. Or it's this mechanical world where that's kind of stupid out there. Rocks are dumb and we're sort of a fluke because we're all very smart. And what the heck are we doing here? And so therefore we need to rule nature because we're smart. We've got this brain. Nature's dumb and let's control it, right? And so those are two pretty bad areas, in my opinion, to be in. Those are scary. And I think that's, unfortunately, what consciousness is. And it makes sense. You go back 10,000 years, there's rustle in the leaves. And as our ancestors were being more gaining consciousness and awareness, you wanted to survive. So I get the fear element. But I think we're at a point now where, where those don't seem to work. And we're not aligned with the world. So why do I say all this? Because... In that paradigm, our deepest desires are ways to protect us. Mm-hmm. So I want a big car. Why? To per, to enable me to, I want a beautiful car to enable, to protect me from failure in society. I want a lot of money because I don't, I want the house. I want um, to do plastic surgery because I want to look beautiful. I, why? It's all to protect us in a way or to make us superior or to just cement our place in this scary world. Mm-hmm. So if you even think, well, I just want to zone out and I just want to sit on a yacht. I just want to watch Netflix. Why do you want to do that? You want to insulate yourself. You want to make yourself superior. There's, there's something there. But if the you is not some benevolent God we need to please, and it's not this mechanical world we're all afraid of, but if we can just align and just know that the world's a good show out there and not be anxious well, that changes our, what do we need then? We already have it. And so if you tap into that, uh, it doesn't mean you don't stand up for yourself. It doesn't mean you don't get the car. It doesn't mean you don't enjoy a good creme brulee. It doesn't mean you don't take pride when someone compliments you. You do all that. We're in the matrix. But just if you can tap in and know Really what your desire then is to have one foot in the game and one foot out. And the one foot out knows that it's all just a game. Mm-hmm. So I think it depends on how you're defining you. And I view this not as split energy or schizophrenic, but I think we're two, there's two areas that we're in. We're two, there's two dimensions. I mean, you look at Jesus, you look at Buddha, you look at the Dalai Lama, you look at Steph Curry. On my warriors, I mean, the guy goes to a different dimension to hit to sh- make shots from forty-five feet, and how does he do it? He can't describe it. He's in a different world, um, and I think we let Steph Curry be there, we let others be there, but we don't let us common people be mm-hmm. in two worlds. We're supposed to just stay in the grind and do it. And if you talk of another dimension, they look at you as woo-woo and crazy. But so I think it depends which dimension you find yourself in to determine your desire and and you can have both. I don't know do if that makes any sense, but it, it did. It, it sparked some thoughts without a doubt. But do you think that in your life right now, you are able to live out the things that you personally desire for, or do you still feel like there are 
some of those components that influence it. So whether it's, I don't know, whatever the situation might be, next door neighbor, the person walking down the street, the person driving X, Y, and Z things, like, do you still find yourself being influenced by their desires and then kind of falling into the trap that, okay, why do I not have those things? Or are you at a completely different point of your life when it comes to that? I'm not that enlightened. I mean, I'm, I'm still in the game. I'm, I'm, I'm still a pawn. Uh, I've, I've seen that, that the emperor has no clothes mm-hmm. or I'm seeing it. I, I call it out, but I still, I still fall back. We all fall back in the, in the ego world. We all, mm-hmm. we're all human and that's fine. I, I don't think it's an element of being totally awakened. If you, if you totally awaken, your body stops or you, or you go into the forest and all alone. Mm-hmm. Or you come back, the Bodhisattva, and you share, you delay your enlightenment, and you bring it back. And that's kind of what you're doing, Oleg, here, is, is that's where these conversations are, is to, is to not preach and not revolutionize, but to, to bring back the findings and, and help mm-hmm. others. And so for me, no, I mean, I'm not that materialistic. I've changed, like Elizabeth said, I don't. I don't care too much about cars or too much materialism, but you know, I, I'm, I want to go to Hawaii. I want to, I want to get out of San Francisco part of the year and get a second home. And I mean, my, there's, there's my materialistic things that I want. I don't need a new car while someone else does, but I want a new home, a second home. So that's as materialistic as, as anyone else. And maybe it's not materialistic because material isn't a bad thing. You know, the aesthetic and what you can sense with your senses is, is a beautiful thing. It's, it's, there's the consumerism. There's what Elizabeth mentioned and what you've mentioned, Oleg, is that why do I need a second home in Hawaii? Well, cause yeah. I'm going to find, I'm going to find some happiness, some satisfaction, some fulfillment from it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's true. I mean, the sun is a beautiful thing and so is the water, but at the same time, my other self doesn't need a home in Hawaii. It's, it's, it's got it all right now. So, mm-hmm. but I, I definitely, I'm a human. I definitely want and I can relate to, I think, much of what you said. I, I think for me, one of the things that I personally was very fortunate to get to is that understanding that it's okay to it's okay to have wants. <clears throat> and not all wants, uh, I wouldn't even say, well, I, I don't know, it's kind of hard to say, but hard to identify w- what's the boundary there. But I've also, I remember chapters of my life where I was trying to justify the reasoning for my wants to people. And what I realized ultimately that works for me, it may or may not work for anyone else. And it's that my wants are my wants. And some are very intentional. And others like, I don't know, wanting to buy a tub of ice cream to, you know, stress eat or whatever, like they might not be, but that's okay. And and that's what I've realized is I think, giving myself the ultimate freedom, so to speak, to be myself, to express myself in those situations and not be in the position. Most times I still fall into it, just like you said, Casey, but where I'm able to express my own desires without the desires of others influencing mine to a point where I actually suppress mine and I don't end up expressing them. So I think there's, there's something really powerful within that, that I've realized and acknowledged about my own journey mm-hmm. is being able to 
I don't know if stay, staying true to myself is the concept, but I think it gets the idea across. Staying true to myself and what I deeply want and um, not let the influencers or influences determine the direction or determine the story that I end up living. I think you, you're not as malleable as the rest of us. I think you've there's a there's a core to you that the rest of us don't have or or have had to learn. The flip side is that is you get too rigid, and mm-hmm. we all know in a storm it's the it's the rigid trees that that break right. And so you're you're not malleable, and you're definitely true to yourself. Um, but I think also knowing you, you're, you're curious, and that curiosity, um, and and you've you've you're you've you've got that openness to you that I. I don't worry about you being too rigid. You've, you've got that nice mix of standing up for your, of being malle of, of being not too malleable, but also being flexible. So, and that's, mm-hmm. that's something most people don't have. I appreciate you saying that. Elizabeth. Yeah, I, I completely agree with what both of you guys are saying. And I feel like for me, much like what you were talking about, like, you know, full self-expression is one of definitely my deepest desires. And I, I really believe that like the divine, whatever that is nature or science or God, or however you think of the divine within us, like wants to be expressed through the unique expression of us. And so what your desires are and what mine are, we are tapping into that divine as, as we lean into them and express them, even if that looks like the second house in Hawaii or the, the trip wherever, you know, it doesn't always have to be not, you know, it can be our environment shaping an environment that expresses our desires or creating a world that expresses our desires. And I believe that that is funneling the divine through us and that everybody has the right to that. That's for me, a lot of the purpose of, of my work and my life is to strip away all the stuff that keeps that full self-expression from coming through. Because I, I believe that's a lot of the purpose of my life is to be a full expression of whatever it is that's unique inside of me. Mm -hmm. Now, are there areas in your life that you feel like you can, I don't know if it's necessarily take more action in, but you, you wish you could be What's the right way to put this or what's a way to put it um, more closely aligned? Like, are there areas that you want to step into, but you don't for whatever the reason might be? It's always a process for me. It's always like a gradual process. And um, there's a lot of calibration that comes with fully stepping into myself for me. Like I'll take a step forward and then my body or my nervous system or my subconscious mind will kind of shut me down for a minute because it's scary. You know, like we've talked about earlier in the conversation, a lot of it is about safety and, Mm. and feeling safe. And so I will push forward in an area of my life and, um, then, Oh my God, everything will fall apart or I will, feel bad. I'll feel sick. I'll, some of my trauma responses will come out and I have to heal through whatever comes up as I get to that next level. And so there's areas in all, or there's places in all areas of my life where I definitely am still learning and trying to understand what my desires are and then cultivating the skills that I need to step into those desires. I know that it's possible, but I have to, I haven't yet fully developed the skill set to embody that entirely, whether that's, you know, really putting myself out fully in my business and standing for 
the things that I do in terms of nervous system regulation and behavior change or whether that's in relationships and really moving out of the codependent patterns that have been so deeply ingrained in my life and, and bringing into being partnerships and relationships that serve that full self-expression or my environment, all of it is still in a process of constant unfolding. Mm-hmm. Casey, what holds you back in life? If anything, I'm assuming that there's anything that holds you back. Oh, there's plenty. plenty. (laughs) Uh, It's fear. It's fear. Um, And fear is, you can unpack fear in in, in many different ways, but there's blockers or self-sabotage. It's it's the subconscious. It's the, um, and, and fear is helpful when you're younger. You have a, fear of crossing the street because you don't want to get hit. You have a fear of climbing high because you don't want to fall. Um, but a lot of those fears that we've had growing up don't serve us anymore at age 28, 38, 48, but we keep them. That's the lizard brain. And so we fear now that our boss will yell at us or that the recession will steal our home or that a new political administration will lead to, to, you know, tragedy. Mm -hmm. And, um, so therefore we buy stuff to protect us. And that's the, the, the industrial fear-based complex. Um, but it's fear. And one thing that's, that's, um, you got to face those fears. There's that line that if you know where the dragon is, it's better to, to find the dragon in its lair and slay it there than, than just wait and have it come out to you. And so, Mm -hmm. While we're all want to be happy being a bliss ninny that everything is fine, really it's about just shining the light on those fears and finding them and being proactive about it. Even if you don't want to ruin your Tuesday, but if you want to take that time to really see what's getting in your way, then then shine a light on that fear, whether it's disappointing people if you do X, Y, Z, whether it's playing small, whether it's it's going to fail, whether it's I'm everything I do is wrong or I'm not worthy. I shouldn't be able to make money. I shouldn't be, if, if I do make money, I'm then going to fail. Someone's going to knock me at my knees. There's, there's tons of fears. Mm-hmm. Um, as we've talked about, and David R. Hawkins writes so eloquently about those are where the cheap payoffs come. We get, mm-hmm. we get a payoff from having those fears. See, I told you the world is horrible. See, I told you I'm small. See, it's good. I like this feeling of anger that the world's against me. I get that. Right. Um, but what, what I just heard um, someone uh, talk, I heard a, a talk and they're talking about Carl Jung, you know, who worked with Freud and Carl Jung, there's the, the darker self, uh, what's he called? The dark thoughts, the, um, the shadow self. And that's all about the fear that we need to face. And, and uh, Elizabeth brought it up in the subconscious. One thing also I just heard that I need to just yesterday that I need to talk about is, is Jung has this idea that when you think about your future self, and you visualize who that is six months, a year, 10 years down the road, you know, so many of us are programmed that that's just a nice to have and it won't, it won't mm-hmm. happen. Mm-hmm. It's imaginary, right? And so what's re- it's easier to, to focus on that, that it won't. But if you do that and if you open up to it, then literally you let go of control. You don't have control over your deepest desires and your future self is directing you from the future 
now. So what does that mean? That means you meet this guy, Oleg, and even though you're not getting paid for it, you jump on this podcast and you <laughs> just talk and you, you just don't really think why you just do it. Right. Or, or you start a business or you stick with a job you hate because there's something in it that is building or a sense of rigor. Um, but it's your future self kind of dictating in the present and it takes a certain level of um, fearlessness to accept that. It also takes a certain level of humility that I may not even have, I may not even know what my deepest desires are. Mm-hmm. So um, I'll pause there, but I think fear is really what blocks me. But I'm wrestling with this idea that the tip of the spear is years ahead of me and it's looking back at me at a current state. And mm-hmm. while I have some volition and I can act, at the same time, I think I'm I'm really just following. How do, and this is a question for either of you as well as anyone else that's listening right now, Cindy especially, how do you make that possibility tangible? How do you make the possibility of your future self a tangible process? Like personally speaking from your own experiences, what do you go through? How, how do you do that? Well, I mean, what I do a lot of, I do a lot of visualization and a lot of parts work. So looking at different parts of myself, accepting the different parts of myself. And I'll give you a really tangible example in my life right now. Um, I'm up leveling my business. I'm doing a launch that's much bigger than I'm used to. I really want to reach more people. I feel like I have a greater purpose to serve. And so I'm, I'm taking the leap. And as I've been doing this cognitively, I believe that. I really believe it, you know? And then at the level of my subconscious, maybe not so much. And my life is getting crazy. My air conditioner broke. All my appliances broke. Someone broke into my house. They stole my car. Um, They stole my wallet. I got sick. I've had migraines. And I'm like, what's going on here? In the span of two weeks, two weeks right before this. And so I have had to do a lot of digging around of what am I really getting out of? Of playing small? Is there some part of me that wants to be saved? Is there some part of me that wants to prove that I can't do this and have an excuse to shrink back into myself? And so allowing myself to see that version of myself, to see her and have a lot of empathy for her, and then allowing the higher version of myself to come to her and be the mentor and maybe give her the care that she did not have. And all the time I'm envisioning this, I'm also doing drills that make my body feel safe and calm. So I'm stimulating my vagus nerve. I'm doing respiration work. I'm bringing that felt sense Mm -hmm. of safety and, um, and calm and regulation into my body as I'm doing the visualization so that it's not just my mind that is thinking about this new belief, thinking about this new way of being, but I'm trying to create that in my body as I'm envisioning taking these next steps, as I'm thinking, planning out my campaign and doing my finances, doing my P&Ls before and after, vagus nerve stimulation, breath work, all this stuff to bring my body on board. Because for me, if I don't embody the new reality, it's very difficult for me to manifest it without self-sabotage. Yeah, I can relate to, I think, much of what you said. I was actually just having a conversation with a friend of mine who first introduced me to these concepts of affirmations and visualizations and um, 
scribing or journaling and the impact of it. And so five years ago, I started this journey. And in fact, I remember vividly going out into the yard. This was on the campus where University of Delaware is. It was a small kind of a accelerator type program. But I vividly remember going there, sitting under a tree and doing it consistently. I think I did it for two months straight. Didn't take a day off. I would go there, meditate and journal, come back, meditate and journal. And the the visualization part, it's been interesting for me to observe. So this friend of mine, he would draw pictures on a note card and literally put those note cards everywhere. I remember the first time walking into his bathroom and feeling so confused by the image that I was seeing in front of me, which is like, what is this? Like, I couldn't even articulate what it was. And afterwards, he told me, you know, not to judge his uh, uh, Picasso skills, but rather just kind of hold back and let him explain. But there's something powerful about it, because I remember in that moment five years ago, doing a similar exercise, drawing out the process of what I would look like, drawing out the process of what overcoming odds would look like. And I kid you not. It happened. If, In fact, if anything, I think if I look back at the pictures because I've saved them, they're not exactly what it is that I envisioned at the time. In some cases, they're more. In some cases, they're less. So I think if anything, what I've learned is that there may not be an exact way the situation is going to happen, but it's going to happen in some way. And I don't know what that way is going to look like. And I think, Casey, you hinted on this a couple of times the letting go of control and wanting it to be my way and not whatever the natural <clears throat> way is. That's been an ongoing journey of mine to understand that what about this process of life do I really control or do I feel like I control? You know, I used to think I, I can control how I respond to circumstances and you can pinpoint numerous people who have seen me not respond to the, or maybe respond, but not have control over my response. So I just find it fascinating how I think if anything, what I've learned throughout my own journey in regard to what you were sharing, Elizabeth, is that I used to think that there was a one, two, three, four, five step process to it all. When the reality of the matter is what I realized is it's all like everything somehow contributes towards a larger picture. You know, even the day when I take off, the day when I don't do something, that rest somehow contributes towards the larger work in progress that I pro that I hope to do for however long. Yeah, when it comes to letting go, that's difficult. And one thing, how someone told me how to phrase it, which is let it be mm. and let your humanness be let the anxiety be, let the anger be, uh, observe it. Similar, Elizabeth, I'm, I'm sorry about all the things that happened to you in the past few weeks. At the same time, it's how you reacted to them is, is very admirable. And I think it's the right way. I will say it's the right way. It, it didn't come from fear. I think it came from love. And, and when I say love, I mean, I think you looked at it as it's darkest before the dawn you looked at it as the ego trying to lasso me in or trying to help me like the parent just 
you know, don't jump to the, into the street, right? It was trying to pull you away from the street, but you're, you're not eight years old anymore. You're, you can cross the street and the street building your business and all of that um, is okay now. It's like, all right, mommy, I'm, I can do this. I'm not eight. Right. So, um, so I admire you for that. That's, that's great. I, my family and I went down to LA. We're in San Francisco. We went down to LA and spent a week down there, got a house and, um, hung out, saw friends. I worked uh, my kids homeschool. So it was easy, but we got a flat tire on the way down Saturday night here, just 45 minutes after we left. Um, and had to roadside. I mean, it took a few hours, wasn't cheap. We finally made it down. Uh, that was a week and a half ago. And then my wife called me yesterday, two days ago, she was driving here in, in, in the city and our other tire popped, ran over a nail and you're just sitting there going, and then we go and the guy says, you need all different tires. The guy who helped you on the side of the road, he put the wrong tire on, you know? So anyway, a lot more money and four tires later. Right. So, but what does that mean? for me and and just similar to elizabeth like it's got something to do tires help me move i broke my foot in the past before i launched my business and you know something around us not being able to move forward and and someone's it is it is some concept is trying to keep us from moving forward and trying to keep us safe by by popping our tires and keeping us in in one place right and i get it i'm gonna let it be like i'm gonna let that safety and that that you know be. Um, but where Michael Singer talks about this in, in his book on tethered soul, if you think about seven things, our five senses and then our thoughts, right. And our feelings, and let's combine feelings and emotions together. They're a little bit different, but let's throw them together. That is our reality. That's the water that a fish is in. Mm-hmm. Elizabeth, Oleg and I always say, you know, you ask a, a fish, how's the water? They'll say, what water, right? You know that. So those seven things are 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 our water if we can let them be and just take a step back and see ourselves in those seven things that is enlightenment that is god mm-hmm. that is nature that is breaking through the maya the illusion in in hinduism because as Michael Singer talks about it, you know, if you're watching it, he uses a James Bond movie. If you're in the theater and you can smell what James Bond smells, feel what James, you know, some virtual theater. And if you can think what James Bond thinks in the theater and then seven, you can feel what he feels. You're done. It's no longer a movie. You are James Bond or whatever character you want. Mm -hmm. Luckily for us, we know it's a movie because we don't smell. We're just seeing the screen. We smell popcorn, not, not gun blasts. Right. But what if we did smell and what if we thought so, but that's us in our movie, those seven things. And so I think what the sages are always challenging us. And I think what Elizabeth, you know, what you're doing in your practice and what Oleg, your curiosity enables you to do and help us all do is to at least pull back from one or all or some of those seven. So then when you pull back from those seven, it's almost like being on the studio set and just looking around. It's the emperor has no clothes. Well, then if there is an existence, if there's a consciousness, if there's a place to be beyond those seven, what is it? Mm-hmm. And this is what the priests, this is what the powers that be don't want you to see. This is what, what Madison Avenue doesn't want you to see. It wants you to buy the Lexus and stay in those seven 
because that'll be your desires. But if you say, but I can, I can go beyond that because when you're beyond that, you don't need the Lexus. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that that's helping me, uh, sort of, sort of, it scares me. It makes it more accountable, but going beyond those seven, as Michael Singer talks about, helps me to let go mm-hmm. or at the very least, just let it be. What's the genre of your movie? And by movie, I mean life. So I'll, I, I've been doing some work recently. And so I'm going to get, I'll get a little personal, but I was, when I was born, I was going to be named Benjamin. I've never told anyone this yet. And this just came through and I had uh myconia, the, the waste. My sister always says I had a bunch of, bunch of, you know, feces in my lungs and laughs at me, but that's what happened. And so I was, um, almost died as a baby and I was in an incubator and my dad, for some reason said, this guy's not a, a Benjamin, he's a Casey. And my mom was just whatever, whatever name, whatever. I just wanted to live. Right. So I was there for a week came out. And so the work I've been doing on this and Benjamin, so to answer your question, Benjamin, actually Benjamin in Hebrew, Rachel died in childbirth and Benjamin later came to mean person from the South, but really it's child of my sorrow because she died and Jacob didn't like that. So he renamed him. Casey is Gaelic for, uh, courageous and brave in battle. So I won't bore you all with the therapy work I've been doing, but I've, my movie was literally a, a sorrowful Benjamin. And then Casey came in and took the keys and made sure and so there's this twin element. My life has kind of been, mm-hmm. and this is when we've talked about playing small, like it's coming to me, but I've, Benjamin didn't die. Casey saved him, but Casey was too strong and brave and courageous to, to kill him off. <laughs> I was wondering like, why didn't, he, why didn't I just kill off Benjamin? But so I have this duality, these twins, and I've had it for the 47 years that, this, that I've been here. And so um, it's made a lot of sense to me, that story. And Casey is brave. And so I take on a lot of challenges, which is why I take on a lot of things, but Benjamin is nervous. And so I take on a lot of things, but I get anxiety if mm-hmm. I'm, cause I think I'm going to fail, mm-hmm. but I can't help taking on things in battle. I'm a warrior. Um, but I also have the Benjamin weakness. So my movie, the part of my movie, my hero's journey right now is as Elizabeth and we're all stepping into our own, but is, is stepping into that, that more warrior in a good way, warrior, um, identity and, and letting Benjamin know that, that everything's okay. That is fascinating. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Kind of personal, but hell, what the hell I'll share it. So you learn something new every day. I didn't, yeah. I didn't know that. I didn't, I, mean, I didn't know it a week and a half ago. You know. either. <laughs> That's a really fascinating journey. Yeah. I can relate. I can relate to much of it. Mm-hmm. I, I can't really, I don't, uh, I can't say that I know the story behind my name or why I was chosen. I think if anything, it was, um, it's a pretty common name there. It's funny how a kind of um, shifted world, so to speak. You know, I, I was the uh, Michael or Steve or Steven in Russia. And then I came here and then it's just like, what's your name again? Say it again. One more time. <laughs> well, in Norse, your name means holy or blessed or sacred. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe in a way I embody that, but that's, it's fascinating to hear that. 
as far as what your movies, so to speak, has been and yeah. how you've been able to manifest that through your own story and the yeah. creation of it. Someone help me pull all this out, but yeah, it's a, uh, yeah, it's great. That's amazing. Elizabeth, what has been your genre or how would you describe the genre of your movie? Oh, gosh, I think my movie would be like some kind of crazy David Lynch movie. <laughs> um, I genre list, just wild. I mean, I'm someone who I really like the full spectrum of emotions. I like to feel it all. And I have as much desire for experiencing my grief and experiencing my anger and experiencing my joy as, as I do experiencing my joy and my connection. And so I think my movie is just something that really explores all of that. Like I want the fullness of my human experience. That is a big desire of mine. And um, I really love what Casey was talking about, expanding beyond those um, those senses and the thoughts and the emotions to a greater awareness, something, you know, that that brought to my mind was another book that has really helped me with a lot of this called Existential Kink. Um, I think it's by Carolyn Elliott, but her thesis, her thoughts are that, you know, we all desire that full spectrum of human emotion. And in our deep subconscious mind, we want to experience sadness. We want to experience jealousy and scarcity. And, and so we're seeking out all these different experiences as, as human beings. And I believe that and playing around with that concept too, and just bringing awareness to that for myself where like, I will meditate on like, God, I love this scarcity. It feels so good. And what am I getting out of this and the excitement of it and allowing myself to pull that up into that level of awareness so that I'm not driven by it at a, in a way that I can't see has also been really important to me for understanding my desires. Mm -hmm. There's a book that I'm reading right now, uh, same exact author as Casey pointed out. It's not The Untethered Soul. It's uh, The Surrender Experiment. <laughs> wow. That book is um, It's very interesting because it, it touches upon everything that we spoke about today, or at least many of the things. But one in particular that he talks about is the difference between inner voice and self. And, and at least in his interpretation of it, that there is a space that exists between the two. And I think what he means by space, it's that space of awareness, being aware that, okay, this is my inner voice that's telling me, as Casey was describing, I'm not good enough, I'm not smart enough, I'm this, I'm not that. And then the self, which is kind of the, my understanding of it is your is one's true voice, true understanding of what one feels, thinks, and believes. And so it's been fascinating to observe my own difference and how that creates the story or the the plot for this movie that probably similar thing, I think, genre less, although I think there are definitely chapters that, I, I don't know, I think at this point, I've probably experienced so many different genres within life where it's kind of hard to pinpoint which one is more important than the other, or which one should be the title and which one should be the subtitle. Because I think if anything, what I've learned is that depending on the time of my life, each and every single one of them serve their purpose. They helped me in ways that I couldn't have imagined. I agree with you. I think the times of scarcity, not having certain things at my disposal, yes, it was challenging, but at the same time, I learned a tremendous amount about myself. I know one of the things that I've learned about my own journey is that when there was an abundance of a resource, 
for me, there was no desire to strive um, anymore. So I think there's something that scarcity can, uh, has taught me. I can only speak from my experience, and that's uh, to maintain that work ethic, to maintain that drive, to maintain that desire to you know keep going, keep learning, continue to stay curious. I, I really can't imagine life any other way. I think it's difficult for me to imagine like what would look, what would my life look like if I all of a sudden lost curiosity about life? <laughs> like that's what brings me, that's what makes me alive. It's just the ability to stay curious. I love to ask questions, not for the sake of continuing the game of 20 questions, but just genuinely want to know, like, how do you see the world? What do you see to begin with? And what do you not yeah. That to me is fascinating. So I'm grateful that the two of you share a uh, similar desire or passion, whichever way we want to categorize that in life. I think also when you talk about the, the you and mm -hmm. who's observing, you know, that gets to what we're talking about, who, which your, which you are we talking about when you want to determine the desire and, and Michael Singer and many others have talked about the observer um, you know, who's, who polices the police, mm -hmm. who, who's ultimately, and you can go down a hall of mirrors and a rabbit hole with saying who it is. Um, but when you, when you just sort of step back, like you were talking about Oleg and, and whether it's the self versus the, the inner voice, but, but it's, it's on a base level for me, for those who don't want to meditate or it's too difficult. If you literally can just step back and look at, let it be, let that voice be, that chatter. Um, it's very calming. Mm -hmm. And I think it's, uh, I, I agree with you. For me, I think it's a challenge at times to do so. Let it be because it's, you know, how could I just let it, let it take its own path? I think there's, I don't know where the desire for control comes from, ultimately. I don't know if that's a conditioned behavior or something that is... I think it's fear. I think it's safety. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Safety. <laughs> to preserve yourself. The outcome. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, there's another book that I read, which had a similar line. I think it's called Tuesdays with Maury by Mitch yeah. Album. And he, I think there's a sentence in there. He says, it is man's desire to control his existence. And I remember just reading that one sentence, probably read it six times over and over again to really understand it. But it, it there's a lot of truth there. There's a lot of truth in that statement. That goes back to what we said earlier. It's either a benevolent God who we need to please. And so the best thing to do is to, to give alms or whatever, or the world is dumb or smart and, and I need to control this earth. So the hurricane doesn't get me or the saber tooth tiger doesn't get me. But yeah. the fallacy there is nothing intelligent can be created out of a dumb world. It just can't happen. And so I think the bottom of the quote of it, you know, the Testament says you don't something like you, you, the fig doesn't come from the thistle, right? You, you can't. So how can we be intelligent bodies and souls and so super smart that we are, but being a dumb world that we're afraid of that we need to control, it doesn't make sense. And that's why, that's why we're on this cycle. That's why we see the yeah. violence. That's why we see the stress. Um, so if we kind of just take a step back and realize that, the world is a beautiful place. It's a great show and it's here for us mm -hmm. to help us. And when a hurricane wipes out a village, 
that's a horrible thing. But when our house gets broken into and our car is stolen or we get a flat tire, is it horrible? And it's all our perspective. Mm -hmm. So, so I think that's where your need for control comes from. Um, all of our need from control comes from. Mm -hmm. If anyone listening right now had a desire or a deep desire to connect with either of you, where could they do that? The best place to find me is at brainbased-wellness.com. And you can get free video series there for nervous system training and self-regulation tools. And I'm doing a couple of free trainings this month for self-regulating for stress eating and for moving out of anxiety and burnout. So there's more information about those there too at brainbased-wellness.com. Thank you for sharing. Casey? Yeah, you can find me at Leave Law Behind. I help unhappy attorneys career transition to non-law alternative careers they they love and so you can you can find me there that's awesome and if anyone listening has a desire to support our show i'll mention it again you can do it by either making a donation through our website or leaving us a review on facebook linkedin google wherever you can find overcoming odds that would help us uh, tremendously but outside of that i just want to thank the two of you and cindy and Osama and everyone else that's been a part of it for really making this possible. I mean, there's something to be said, I think, when you bring so many like-minded individuals in one room and be able to have a really rich conversation like this. So I just, I appreciate the two of you for being a part of this and, and choosing to step out of maybe at moments out of your comfort zone and share things that you might not have, but it's, it's fascinating. It's, it's been fascinating for me, for me to see your own individual growth and the people that you have become and the people that you already are. Thank you all for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. If you haven't done so already, consider subscribing to our future episodes so you can receive all of the latest content. Also, if you like what you heard, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes, Facebook, or Google so more people can find these inspiring and courageous conversations. Once again, we thank you for listening and we'll look forward to having you next time. <laughs>